Focus. This is a podcast that brings you a series of interesting, hopefully, and actionable conversations around how and why people um, find focus in this increasingly distracted world. Yes. As you know, sometimes we bring in focus experts, and most of the time we talk with real, real cool people about um, how they find focus in their day jobs, in their larger life. Um, and today I'm very excited to present a good friend and an amazing woman, Jean Hopkins. She is the CRO at OneScreen.ai and in her past roles has also been VP of Marketing at HubSpot, an incredible mm -hmm. leader uh, in the marketing space, of course, with a CRO on her title now. She has a <laughs> she still gets to belong to the cult of marketers, but we're thrilled oh, to have course. you here, Jean. Um, do you want to say <laughs> hi? Say hello to everybody a yes. little bit? Hi, everybody. It's really exciting to be here. Um, I have enjoyed all my different roles. I feel in many ways a CRO is really a combination of marketers, salespeople, and customer success leaders. And so by actually integrating all those things together for everything that's customer facing, your go-to-market is at a lot more integrated in one area. But of course, you have to have really strong uh, lieutenants on your team as well, because it's not about me. It's about the team. So that's kind of where I am right now, Melissa. Yeah. And before we dive into that, because I'm very excited, tell us a little bit where you are physically, too. Uh, tell us where you're dialing in from. It's because it's a great spot. I'm, uh, I, I, we live in uh, Mattapoisett, Massachusetts, which is on a cove in a bay, Buzzards Bay, um, which is in the Sound, Long Island Sound, in the Atlantic Ocean. And so we're pretty well protected here, but we're right in, uh, I'm looking at across the, the ocean, I'm looking at um, Cape Cod Canal, which is where the two bridges go over, Bourne and Sagamore Bridge go over to the Cape. And we have the benefit of uh, a new view every day because the ocean changes every single day. Uh, fantastic sunrises, beautiful sunsets. And we get to see cruise liners and transport vehicles and tall ships go into Cape Cod Canal and come out. So it's a quite a fun, fun place to live. Lots to look at. Now, I'm actually going to stick with this for a second because I actually, <laughs> especially in the remote work world, um, people have chosen to live in places that actually really mean something to them. And clearly you're passionate about where you live. <laughs> if we if we think about finding focus, how does where you live actually play into what you as, you know, Jean overall, your overall kind of focuses in life? Is that part of why you decided to be where you are? Tell me a little bit about that. This is not a topic I've well, been to before, but I'm curious. <laughs> Well, um, I've been transferred a number of times in my career. Um, though we, uh, my husband and I, when our twin daughters were born, we were living in downtown Boston, and uh, we had a nice condo unit with two bedrooms, two you know, nice, nice unit in a very convenient area. Um, but the people that lived below us <laughs> didn't like hearing little feet pittering around on top of them. So we bought a house in the suburbs in Newton, Mass, and we were there. And we had bought the house, the first house in Mattapoisett um, as a project. It was a, a project kind of a thing. It was a 1972 house with, with the mustard yellow refrigerator and stove and the whole thing. And we did a gut rehab on the house it's, it's just as a project, something to do. And then we sold it. And after we sold, we sold, we got two full price offers on the house and we sold it. And then a, a few weeks later, we had this nice house in Newton. Um, we happened to be driving around. It was wintertime, Christmas week. 
And we saw this house that was for sale and it had the deal had fallen through. So we were able to get a good deal on it um, because these people had already bought something else and we got a good deal on it. We could close on it. And um, we had to replace all the windows. We had to reshingle the house. We had, to, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be done because it's near the ocean. It's considered a high velocity zone, oh, which sure. some people may be aware of a high velocity. So in storms, hurricanes and nor'easters that we have here, 70, 80 mile per hour winds are not unheard of here, but it's a very sturdy house. Um, it was actually built on um, cement stilts and it's... Um, it's a post and beam construction, so it's pretty solid. But man, when that wind is whipping, it is something. But it's actually kind of fun. Not fun fun, but it's it's okay fun uh, to, to live it out through a storm. We've lost power a few times, but not a lot. But living here... Um, it was always the, the the goal was we would summer here no matter where we worked or no matter where I worked. And I've worked in a number of different places. And the deal has always been for our daughters to be able to come back here and be able to have summer. So they have summer friends here. And then after um, I left Marketing Sherpa and went to work for, Mark, for HubSpot, we moved here permanently. So we have a big storage facility in Florida full of our good furniture. <laughs> And, and so we're living out of a very much smaller house right now, which is kind of bursting at the seams. Our daughters have both 24 year olds have left, um, but I'm trying to figure out how to get them to take all their art projects and all this other stuff out of the house so we can start making some room. <laughs> I find it fascinating that with the roles that you've been in, especially these leadership roles that you've been in, you've been able to navigate you know, not always being immediately close to the company and certainly in the last few years as all of us have been around, but that makes mm -hmm. it harder. It makes it harder to keep yourself on track sometimes with what the company is doing. Mm -hmm. And then it also mm -hmm. makes it harder to lead teams. Um, talk to me yes. a little bit about kind of how, you know, I know that especially as a leader, you're an incredible leader. So how do you maintain kind of that team direction um, and, and, you know, staying on the right track for yourself, but also for the people you lead? You know, I, I think I've, um, when I was working with the initial stages of COVID, well, I was working at Lola.com and I was working for Mike Bolpe. Um, I really like Mike a lot. I worked for him at HubSpot and it was a business travel management software company. And the company had to retrench um, after COVID because nobody was traveling for business. So you had the platform fee, plus you had all the, the revenue that was coming from airplane tickets, hotel tickets, and car rentals. So it went in the toilet. So Mike had to um, essentially cut 50% of the workforce and try to pivot um, to a new a spend management uh, platform with the remaining runway that they had. So, um, and I respected him and uh, on being able to do that. And he didn't, you could tell it was really hard for him to have to do that, but that's the job of a CEO, right? You got to keep the, the trains running on time. You've got to have, you have a fiduciary responsibility. So I had, a, a, because it was so early in the pandemic, I was able to get three offers, um, two of which I turned down because I always want to, as a head of marketing, I want to make sure that I'm going to have a natural affinity for the sales um, organization. Mm -hmm. And when it came down, both organizations board the whole thing getting to you know they're recruiting me heavily and the last conversation one was with the head of north american sales who felt that marketing was was the reason she didn't make her quota for q1 oh. 
There's no responsibility for her, but it was all about marketing, right? Wow. And I thought to myself, you know, you're supposed, you know, I asked the question, and I also asked this question if I've ever interviewing salespeople, how do you work with marketing? How, you know, I, as leadership, what kind of, how do you figure out how to make things work? What are the SLAs? What are the things that you're trying to do together? Like, if I give you this, what are you going to give me back? You know, mm -hmm. it's a give-get. It's like anything, right? Um, and uh, it... it the second one, um, again, bored the whole thing, the whole shoot and match. And I talked to the head of sales and he said, we don't, I don't like marketing. I don't need marketing. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe you should have told maybe the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> so why am I sitting and there? Right? I'm like, you know, why am I having this conversation with you? Right. So the, the other opportunity was in Rhode Island, which is the next town over from Mattapoisip. And they did a full corp press because I was very concerned about going to work for a Rhode Island company because a lot of people, it's an insular kind of a state in that people that are born and raised in Rhode Island don't typically leave. And Boston being 40 miles away is like, you know, going to the moon apparently. And so I was worried about the tech scene. And so the CEO and the chairman of the board, you know, were bringing, you know, like, oh, we got this person here. Can you convince her that, you know, we have a tech community? And, and they don't. So I went to work for them consolidating. Um, they, they, they were all over the place. And what I noticed at that particular company was a lot of the female, um, I'm just going to call them managers because they weren't treated as leaders. And oh. I felt they'd been looking for this person to be able to fill this role for a year. And, and after I was there for close to a year, I knew why. Mm -hmm. And it was very, um, very personal, like the personal relationships that went back 10, 15 years, even if those people hadn't grown and you were trying to grow them or you were trying to edit some on the team, like they just weren't cutting it. It was very hard to lay people off during COVID. Um, and so I ended up going to another portfolio company that I had been advising and another this is, you know, we can get into the whole what do you look for when you're looking for a role and not not fully under the problem is i'm being brought in when you should always have you know have you addressed the market what's the market size that you're trying to deal with and then the next step is do you have a product <laughs> do right. you know what is the product and then at that point you know then you bring in marketing and then you bring in sales and what i've noticed is a lot of companies just wing bdrs at the wall and think that they're just going to magically come up with a bunch of revenue to be able to meet your revenue targets. And that order of operations is not necessarily followed. And I've, I feel as though I've been told in the initial stages, and I have no way of being able to verify that the product is where they think it's going to be. You know, sometimes you look at the they'll website and it's more. a thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's much bigger. And, and it, I think that Okay, you can understand the addressable market, right? But if you don't have a product, you're you, you know if you're like a a company in search of something to be able to hang your hat on, you can only have so many conversations, right? And it's been somewhat disappointing for me because I also now I'm learning. I'm learning that I I want I want to work at a company with a strong sense of business, a holistic look at the business, some financial responsibility. I, I want a product. I want something that everybody is passionate about and they know what it is. 
because in many organizations, the employees have no idea what the product is that they're selling. You know, it's, it's a lot. Think about it. How many are just like ideas <laughs> and it's, there's nothing there there yet. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, I love this. I love this thinking because as marketers, we're often like marketing is very important. Marketing is critical, but marketing also can't do what it's designed to do and what we do best until you have those foundational things. And so how are you supposed to come in and start marketing something when there is no focus, there is no product, there is no clear direction. It's very, you're just going to spin wheels, right? Well, and that's kind of what has unfortunately been happening to me is that I think there's a thing and I want to believe that there's a thing because I believe 99.9% of people tell the truth. So, you know, and I, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going in, you know, with rose colored glasses. I'm just okay, what do we got? And then when you start asking the the hard questions, right? It's like, yeah, right. Don't worry about it. We're going to get there. And so, I, well, I, <laughs> so take me through a little bit because I think I'm really fascinated by your evolution. And, and actually the way we started out the episode, you talked about the CRO role and how you see it actually mm -hmm. bringing together the whole go-to-market function. Mm -hmm. I think that's really fascinating because it I mean, certainly, I will say I believe it is more of a trend we're seeing, right? As opposed to mm -hmm. CEO sitting next to CMO, we often see that CRO role. And I love the idea that right. CMOs are essentially rolling into that role. There's a couple of different skill sets that can roll right, into it. Right, right. I'd love right. to hear from you, like, I mean, let's go best case scenario. How do you, what are some of the things you've been doing to literally bring it together? You told us one thing, which I think was great, which is um, don't, you know, Make sure you have the pieces in place. Make sure there are all right. the components right. in place. You're not just chucking BDRs right. out there, right? Um, take me through <laughs> a little bit more about that. Like, what are some of the things that go through your mind as you step in and say, okay, from a CRO perspective, here's how we're going to bring it together? You know, I'm kind of have my own gene playbook. Yeah. Um, and uh, initially, what I like to do before I go to a new company is I want to see the budget. Mm -hmm. I want to see where's the money going and why is it going there? And I want to see what things can be stopped <laughs> because they don't make sense. I, I talked to um, a company re recently and they're spending $5 million with vendors and nobody is managing the vendors. They don't have a programs manager. So I've talked to two companies recently that the CEO and the CRO or whoever the other C person is have split marketing. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, I've said, I don't want to be part of that because yeah. one of them said, I really like marketing. I like, I like making those TikTok sure. videos. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> CEO slash social media manager. There you go. Have fun. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's something fun. And she goes, well, I have a theater background. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm just thinking to myself, can you imagine trying to tug that stuff away from people that felt, and then. And then when you get that stuff and you're trying to um, cancel contracts or renegotiate the fees that are being charged. And, and this happened to me at one company where I took a look at what we were spending on some of these vendors and they weren't giving us anything. And I'm like, why are you writing $5,000 checks to people? So I canned them. And of course, they call up the CEO and go, you know, Gene, Gene got rid of us. And, it's, and then he comes to me and he says, why did you do that? I'm, I'm like looking at him going do you really want to just be throwing $10,000 out a, a month extra that you, that you're getting no value for? I, I didn't respond in that way. I was just like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what are you nuts? 
And, um, but I, I, it's this lack of basic business skills and being able to say, you know, it's not my first goat rodeo. You know, I've done this before. I know where the money goes. I know what things should cost and I know what value we should get. And if we don't have anybody managing these particular projects, if I don't have headcount, then you're just wasting money. We have to figure out how to have people be able to manage things and to be able to grow and figure out what the next logical steps are. And, you know, when you inherit people, you know, it's sometimes they're okay and other times they're not. So I'll go back to, I like to look at the budget and I want to look at the budget because I want to look at revenue. I want to be able to look at how long does a customer stay with us? What is the percentage of churn? Okay. What are we looking at in terms of CAC? What is a reasonable CAC? What does the business plan say that we should have for a CAC? And then working backwards from there to be able to say, okay, this is reasonable. So I was talking to a friend of mine formerly from HubSpot, and they're bringing in a lot of customers at the top of the funnel, but they're losing a ton at the bottom. They're not renewing. And why aren't they renewing? So to me, that's customer marketing that needs to be addressed in a very big way because there's something that they're not seeing the value of your particular offering. And granted, it's not that expensive, but what are you doing to make them more valuable as, as employees. So we kind of talk, uh, you know, in, in the team about providing some sort of automated dashboard to be able that they, and then teach them how to share that internally. Marketers don't market themselves. They never, you know, and, and I, from my point of view, I can, I can send out all the things I want, say, Hey, look at this. Kaylee did this and Aaron did this and so-and-so did that. But it's better for it to come from them. I want Kaylee to send the email. You know, I want Aaron to remind people that he's alive in, in Detroit, right? You know, let them know. And, and they're the go-to people, not me, right? I don't, I don't want to be the focus of the universe because, you know, I'm just a blockage in, in that respect. But if people know that they have the right go-to people, that's great. So the budget is important to me. The team is important to me. Being able to see the tech stack, because once it, it's in every company I've gone to work for, they have no idea what's in their tech stack. And do you know how long it takes to uncover that tech stack? You know, you keep learning new things. So I assign one person on my team to be responsible for the tech stack, the contracts when they renew, the passwords, who owns it. And so that, go ahead, Melissa. Oh, I was just going to say, I got really excited about this. Yeah, like a kind of a tools audit because also mm. it's a security issue too. People mm-hmm. are losing things left and right. And if you are not keeping good Aware. track of that tool audit and right. who has access Absolutely. to things, you'll get, Absolutely. You will get hold on it. Yeah. This is my, my flash warning to whoever's listening. If you haven't done an audit of your tech staff, <laughs> Gene and Melissa are here to tell you, get that done. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's it's also important too. There's there's a really good company that I've worked with. I, I worked with them at one company when we were renewing our Salesforce contract, and we were wanted to do um, the service cloud in addition to the sales cloud. And vendor v e n d r uh, dot com, and talk to Brian Thorne because he's amazing. I worked with him at HubSpot, and it what they do is they're able to negotiate because of their purchasing power better, b- rather than you going one on one mano a mano with Salesforce. They have so many inside; they're constantly renewing millions of dollars worth of contracts, and they can help you. Um, but this concept of the tech stack is something that 
there's an expectation setting. And, you know, you think about Zoom licenses, you could buy a Zoom license for a couple hundred dollars a year, go to webinar license for $500, this, that, the other thing. But how many of them are out there? And who's using them? And why are they using them? And, you know, does it make sense? Because it does turn into a game of inches with budget. But I also look at waste of time. You know, if you're not standardized on one type of platform that you're comfortable with, it just, you know, I, I can say that in every company I've gone to work for recently, nobody knows how to do a webinar. They don't know how to exactly. <laughs> and to me, it's like, really? You, it's, you don't know how to do go to webinar. You don't know. And they don't. And it's a, it's um intimidating, I guess, for, for some people. So yeah, you've the got budget. Sorry, yep. yeah, you've got the waste of time, you've got the sprawl, and then it also just, if you think about the way we communicate in, within companies, especially mm -hmm. as they grow and you've got all these teams, if you're mm -hmm. all using different products and you're all, you know, I, I was laughing about the, um, like the collaborative work boards, right? You've got like Mural and Miro and Google, Google Fig, <laughs> you know, Fig Jam and Google, whatever Google's is, Jam, Jamboard. Like if everybody's <laughs> using different ones and not to draw mm -hmm. right back to the topic, but like this idea of, you are completely unfocused, right? Everybody's looking in different directions. Even the yep. way that you use those tools can be very right. like undertone of lack of focus, right? People are thinking in different ways. They're using different tools. They're not pointed in the same direction as a team. And, and, and that's an excellent point, Melissa. And I find that um, a lot of organizations or people on the teams feel like this tool is going to solve, it's going to be the silver bullet. This is right. my unicorn rainbows glitter, and I'm going to have it. And I, I, I will reject that for as long as I possibly can, because usually my question is who's going to own it. Who is going to do the implementation? Who is going to train the rest of the people on the team recently having gone through that uh, with a tool, you know what, it's still not deployed. Mm -hmm. And we bought the tool in April and it's still not deployed. So, you know, and I, I said, if I sign this, I want this deployed in four weeks because you guys are saying that you need this for X, Y, or Z. And we still have another tool that we're using, you know, so it was monday.com, yeah. uh, which is a decent tool, That's but the, the team felt like it wasn't strong enough. So they wanted ClickUp. Well, the challenge with ClickUp is they have these massive implementation fees and mm -hmm. it's sort of like when you pay for it, you're never going to get rid of it because, you know, you just gave your firstborn. Yeah. You just gave your firstborn child to click up and you're, you're going to just stick with the contract. Now there's nothing wrong with either of those, but the, the users, the users were originally somebody wanted monday.com and then it became like, it's unworkable and it's like, well, you're still using it. So what else could be work? No, we definitely need click up. And I would go through, I went through the demo with click up and I'm, I'm like, what the heck? Well, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I don't see a clear advantage. I mean, help me out here. And, and, and one was month to month. And then the second one was an annual. And so then once you convert to it, you're, you're subject to, you know, you're subject to the cost, the price increases or anything that they have. And um, it's, it's another thing that happened is one peer person on my team, this is where trying to get the finance team to say, do not approve any invoices or any contracts, right? So I had team members signing contracts. So they somebody signed a contract with Meltwater and for $12,000. And smokes. the idea, oh, yeah, I, I know. I, I, and I've seen what Meltwater does. It's great, but just to have someone sign it without 
strategically placed. And and I, I, you know, I was on a, like, I was invited to a demo call and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry guys, but I've had very bad luck with Meltwater. And I had two PR team members on there and they both had very bad luck over the years with Meltwater. So if you had told me that you wanted to buy Meltwater, it would have been a big NO for me. Nothing against the people. Conversation and a pushback and some questions. You know, it's just yeah, it's just that really. I mean, and so you know what? That tool's never been used, and the idea was we would be able to look at the social sharing of. And I'm like, well, you don't need a thousand dollar a month tool. And we had other tools that our PR team could have done for us. And you didn't have to, you know, how many people, how many of you are trained to be able to go in there and pull reports? So it, it's, it, yeah. Well, I, you know, I love, I'm really hearing like, so first of all, one of the things that you, you, I'm kind of hearing you say you do, which I think is really critical is getting the tool alignment itself, but the tools around like yeah. how we use them and why we use them. Right. And, and why. Right. Yeah. Why. The bigger picture is the budget, right? Like how are we spending it and right. why? And to your point. Right it all comes back to the why. I mean, if you don't have the why we need it or why are we spending it, then everything else kind of falls And who's going to own it? And who that's is right, going to own it? Because yes. it sure sugar plums is not going to be me. I don't want to own it. You know, <laughs> I'll sign the invoices, I'll pay it, but you know, someone else has to own it because if you don't own it, then you know, what's it going to be the next time? It's going to be something else. It's going to be the the magic beans that are going to make your life so much easier. So the next thing I look at is the database, the state of the database. Um, I I want to know recency. I want to know how you're collecting this information. I want to take a look at the forms on the website. I want to know how are these things converting? And so if there's a form completion, does that count as a lead? Probably not. But what form completions, where are the form completions coming from? How are people getting to those landing page, whether it's paid, paid media, organic, whatever they're doing, how, where are these names coming from and how recent are they and have they been touched? And, you know, being able to slice and dice your database, because I've been told over time, oh, yeah, we have 100,000 names in our database. And it's like, well, how many do you email on a regular basis? Oh, we don't do that. Well, yeah. So you're, you're like, well, why, why? <laughs> and, but it's a, and you can't just like say, Hey, I'm going to send a hundred thousand emails to people that don't know who the heck we are, because that's a sure way to get blacklisted yes. and trying to explain to people about warming up your IP address again, and, and actually segmenting your audience, like by form completions, actually creating content, but not doing a one and done email blast that has absolutely nothing to do with the people that are receiving those emails is, is pretty important in my mind. So that, I know, I mean, you're laughing, but you, you know, the drill it's I'm laughing and because it's, I know the drill it's, it's, it, you hear it and your heart just goes, ah, oh, like I, I love how, you know, we were talking about like kind of the, the core of this CRO role, but like so much of it. And what you're telling me is this idea of uh, get your tools aligned, get your budget aligned, get your database aligned. And it's, it's sometimes gobsmacks us. Like, that's why I've got, that's why I've got the laughter going is just how unaligned and how scattered all of these can be when you walk into an org. Yeah, I'm just, this is how I try to figure things out from the get-go. You know, you, you come, you have, you always have like a 90-day plan, right? 
And your 90 day plan is usually a listening tour. Um, and so you're trying to figure out where things are, where the potholes are, what hasn't worked, what has worked. And when you're an employee or part of a team, you're actually able to kind of dig in and you want to be. And, and I find that the concept of communication with some, with your sales leader, your, your product people, your engineers, you know, all that very difficult to execute against if you're not um, in an office where you're seeing each other on a semi-regular basis um, and touching base and actually eye to eye. And I think that I've been failing because it's because of COVID I'm not connecting. I'm not connecting. I'm not reading the room correctly. I'm not, I'm not able to do that. And I find I miss that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing, the fourth thing, sorry, is looking at the team. Are they in the right spots? Are they, because uh, I want to build T-shaped people and I want somebody that is, you know, solid and a go-to person. You're the email person. You're the web person. You're the rev ops person. You're the programs manager for this, that, or whatever. And I want to know that if they feel good about that role or do they want to change that role? Do they want to be doing something different? I was talking to a company recently and this was the CEO and the CRO splitting marketing and they have two designers on staff. Cool. Why do you need, why? And they, and those two designers don't like each other. I was just going to say, and no, so, matter, no matter what designers they are, they're probably going to come head to head. Yeah. They're going to have. And, and they redid the, their logo, their company logo but they were so slow. And I was, I was talking to the events manager there and we were, we were just kind of going through some events, you know, your run of show and all that. And um, she couldn't get them to give her a, a resized logo. So she just went out to the events. No kidding. Really? You can't, I mean, you know, open up Adobe and take care of it, but apparently these prima donnas, and I'm thinking to myself, you're a small company. You don't need two designers. And the two designers are not like working on the product. This is just like marketing stuff. Oh my goodness. And I, well, first of all, I'm jealous because I'm like, wow, can I have them? I know. Yes. I know. Really? Yeah, I know. And I, I find that a lot of times designers have a really, um, they have such a sense of ownership design. Some content people are like that, you know, maybe long form content, you know, they, they maybe they don't really want to be edited, but you, you need to be able to put a communications brief, but I find that in-house designers, my experience has been, and I'm, I hope I'm, this is not a blanket statement, is they, they, they like to think, they like to create, and they're good at it. They just don't move real fast. Mm-hmm. And what you l- would like is something like, here's our template, here's our brand guide, here's our style guide, here's our fonts, our colors, or blah, blah, blah. And these are the things that are coming up. And you have a backlog and you would just hope, and, and I've had the benefit of this with external vendors of, you know, you know, I need this and I'll get this and it'll happen quickly. But I think that, you know, sometimes the designers on staff are trying to fill up 40 hours of work and there's no sense of urgency. That's just been my experience. I love it. I, the, the mentioning of the T-shaped skill set, I think is important too, because you want people to have depth of experience and depth of ownership. So it's good when yes. a designer has high ownership, but they also need yep. to be able to, to go shallower when they need to and say, okay, well, I've owned this, but here I'll pass you that. Like they're um, T-shaped right. not just right. in skills, but in like that, how they interact with the rest of the team for sure. I have one question that I'm just dying to know. So your, <laughs> your organizational ability to look at these four buckets, you know, what we had 
tools. I'm out of order here. We had tools, we had database, we had budget, and we had teams. You look mm -hmm. at these, you think about what falls away, where the priorities are. You're so good at that. How do you, Gene, keep yourself <laughs> running? Like, how do you manage all of these things that fall on your plate? How do you stay sane? How do you actually... Well, didn't say you know, I was sane, Melissa. Well, you know, I said it's about <laughs> I, I, I do get crabby at times. <laughs> I do get crabby. I get crabby when um, people yeah. um, don't hold themselves accountable. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, I don't like it when they deflect responsibility. That's a pet peeve of mine. Mm -hmm. I expect I'm, I've got your back, but I also need you to have my back. If you mm -hmm. tell me you're going to deliver something on Friday and on Friday and I ask you about it and you say, oh, I haven't started it. I get a little irritated and it's like, you know, I, I try to check in with my team frequently saying like, where are you on this project? Because usually I can tell that it's in play or not in play. Um, and because they haven't asked questions or asked for clarity, but for me personally, <clears throat> I found, you're going to laugh at me. Um, I found, uh, my husband and I, uh, we use keep, um, on Google, my husband doesn't like Apple. I like Apple computers and I, I have two Apple's laptops that I use. I, I like them, but he doesn't like Apple phones. So I have an Android and I use Keep on the Android. And on Keep, I keep track of our groceries. It's a grocery list because I share it with him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when we're at the grocery store, he can look at it and know what's going on. I share what's in the freezer because my husband accuses me of buying things when they're on sale. And then I have <laughs> 90 million chicken thighs or something. What's in the freezer and being able to cross that off. I keep track of all my parents' medical stuff, their medical sure. doctors, their, the tests, the things that they have happened, reminding them when their booster is, when the, you know, all the, the little reminders. And then, so I keep lists of everything. And if I save a recipe, I, I, I'll like save it to keep. And, um, just because I had, I don't want to just keep printing out, you know, things that I find interesting or places to go or things to see. We put it on the keep and I share it. So I use keep and I have used keep for structure. I've recently started using workflowy. Um, and it's kind of like, these are the priorities for the day. Um, I forgot where I learned it about it, but I just started using that and being able to look at it on a daily basis. This is today. And then kind of feeling, cause I've always used a notebook. And so I had this webinar that I did, um, a couple of weeks ago. So here's the printout of the webinar, but look at all my notes from all the things I've got oh, yes. 90 million notes on there. And so I like writing things down because when I write it down, I'm better at retaining it. But when you're on a conversation, when you're in a conversation, you can't like go to your keep or you shouldn't be typing or doing something like that. So, you know, I'm trying to trying to use um, different tools to allow me to focus mm -hmm. and being able to say these are the things that absolutely need to get accomplished. And um, it's you know, essentially your five things to do every day. What are the, what are the five things? And I, I like to think about it the night before and think about it in the morning because priorities change, right? You, everything changes and trying to figure out your order of operations. And sometimes it's people oriented because mm -hmm. there's a lot of crises that, that happen for one reason or another, someone's health, something happens, they need some degree of backup, something's going on. Um, it today, last, last day of the quarter, last day of Q3. And, you know, so there's a lot of priorities, but that ship has sailed, 
right? Well, it's sometimes like, it's easier to, sometimes the priority yeah. just gets smaller at the end of the quarter because you're like, nope, it's just that. There's that. one thing, one it's, goal. And you've been really good about it because you've been asking people to share the information on Gated, about Gated, about trying to get people to sign up because it's a free tool. And, and using Gated has also... A, I get so many emails. And if you look at how many emails I get at the end of every month Mm -hmm. and multiply that by 10 for the end of every quarter. And when I look at all those emails, I appreciate it. And I want to be able to help these sales guys. But you know what? I'm I'm not going to buy something on the last day of the month, the last day of the quarter. I I appreciate it. And no, I'm not going to set up a demo with you today. You know, it's, it's, it, I, I feel like a lot, a lot of those conversations and right lately, I've been getting a lot of um, spammy uh, LinkedIn messages. I'm reaching out on behalf of so-and-so and he wants to blah, 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 da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, no. And so you're just trying to clear out, like I, I go into LinkedIn once a day. I look at it, you know, to be able to, you know, just talk to people that are real, but the LinkedIn messages goes to my inbox, but in gated, I have it all going to the gated stuff. So I don't choose to look at it. And if my day is crazy, I will delete the 350 emails from that day or whatever it is. And because I, I just, it's not important. And what I found with the gated tool is that I was able to keep what was important. I'll read everything, right? I'll read the headlines. And I, and when you're reading all those subject lines, it's a distraction and it also further takes you away from the importance of what you're trying to work on in that day. Now we all have Slack overload. I I wish I could figure out a way to gate Slack in some capacity. I want to see what's going on, but I can't keep up. I mean, that's why we're having this podcast, right? Is we are being bombarded, not just in email, but everywhere and LinkedIn and Slack and and I think oh, it, it is only going to get worse. And it really becomes this constant conversation that we need to have, not just on the podcast, but with our teams and with right, our right. friendly CEOs about how <laughs> do we do, how do we take, you know, Jean's amazing ability to cut things away when they are not priority to mm. look at the why, how do we do that in everything we do? I mean, I love right. kind of this core, these core four buckets that you gave for, you know, especially from the CRO perspective about what you would really attack, but that, you know, you can take that same thing and put it in your daily, your daily life, right? Like if it's not mm-hmm. on the top of the keep list, it's, it needs to step aside. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we're here. It's not easy. It's a challenge and it's fun, but well, I mean, it you've is. given us a ton today. You've given me quite <laughs> a lot of even personal ideas. Um, and so. It's one thing that I, I noticed, Melissa, you and I went back and forth. I, um, when I did this webinar um, with the Marketing um, AI Institute, Paul Rotzer, great guy. And, and I did some research. To, I think I told you about this, about the average number of advertising messages we see. So I wanted to make sure that I had sources and I found them. So in the 70s, we saw roughly 500 or heard 500 marketing messages per day. 500 in the 70s somehow. Then the next data source I had was like 1981 that I found and it was like a thousand. And then it went to 3000 and I'll share the chart with you, but, um, and now you know what it is? It's 10,000, 10,000 a day marketing messages. And this is not out and about. It's like every time when you look at a feed, any feed, you're just getting all, you're either getting retargeted or you're getting targeted or whatever. 
and you you click on something accidentally and you find yourself like out out in another place and you're seeing more messages. So I subscribe to four different newspapers. And, you know, I, I don't want alerts on all of them, but I, I go and I look and I look at their different points of view. Um, one's local, one's the Washington Post, the New York Times and the Boston Globe, of course. Mm-hmm. So I, I click on them and I look at them. But what about all those messages I'm seeing or the right. messages I'm not seeing, but they're there right in my face? And what do you hear? You're, you hear them, you see them. <laughs> it's 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 overwhelming. And I okay. think. I think so. You and I have had some really good learnings today on kind of more the how do we how do we in, in the role based focus the teams and how do we cut things away. I think there's an entire other conversation. So we're gonna at some point record a whole new one, and it's gonna be around <laughs> how do we in our own roles resolve the fact that we literally are contributing to that. Like the, I think there's yes. a really cool discussion, and maybe to our yeah. audience, we're gonna have this. How do you break through later. the clutter? Yeah. And how do right. marketers approach that to say, yeah, there is too much out there. So not, so both mm-hmm. how do we break through the clutter and then also how do we kind of, you know, take our place in, in the problem and do it in a way that is actually, you know, marketing and marketing well in a way that works for everyone. And that's, it's fun. It's not more we'll email. Do a table. Maybe we'll get some of, yeah, that, that would be a lot of fun, Melissa. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not more email. And I feel bad for a lot of these poor BDRs and salespeople that are just relying on email for outreach or relying on, you know, very strange LinkedIn connections. Okay. People reach out to me. And then as soon as they send me a sales message, I'll unconnect from them. I'm glad to listen to you and I'm glad to learn new things. But don't try to sell me, you know, offer me something of value, something that I that that makes sense for me or my company or my team in some capacity. And I I feel like we're not I think Google's new algorithm being talking about helpful content. That's what we need to focus on helpful content. Peter Caputa, who I worked with at HubSpot, he's the CEO of Databox, and he has been really working hard on providing value. So they just launched, Databox just launched this benchmark series where you can benchmark yourself against 700 different industries. And it's, it's, Databox is not expensive. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good value for what you're getting for the product, and you can glue together all these different um, integrations and integrate together into one nice dashboard, but being able to being able to um, benchmark yourself in your industry to me has a huge value. That's value, yes. um, and I I think that a lot of times we haven't figured out we haven't figured out as marketers what is the value we're offering. We're mm-hmm. we're we're all kind of saying the same thing sometimes, and I like the tagline for uh, gated noise canceling headphones for your email. That to me is a value proposition. And I don't even remember, I think I started using you guys back in March. Um, Andy, your co-founder, I don't know how I got across, I don't know how, but I set it up for Save Our Waves and people just trying to get to me were, Jen Steele posted something on LinkedIn. It's like, I'm using Gated. And if if you're not willing to pay two bucks to get to my inbox, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> your, your time, as we've learned today, your time and the time of, and frankly, that's why we're building gated. Everyone's right. time, not just because, right. you know, you, but everyone's time is valuable. And, and honestly, their attention is limited. And right. So right. we're in this world of marketing that where we're often stealing attention and really right. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing it to Gated Vault. I, I always, I'm always <laughs> like, I don't want to get in sales, but we need to be having more tools that are built to protect mm. our attention and to help right. you do what's critical, not to, you know, clutter the mess. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to be awake at midnight clearing my inbox. So, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, it'd be great to have another conversation, Melissa. Thanks We're so much for to. today. Appreciate my, it. <laughs> my pleasure. Everybody stay tuned because we are going to pull together a roundtable around marketers talking about how to market in a world of too much marketing. That's going to be our <laughs> <laughs> um, That'll Thank be you fun. for being here today. It was wonderful to chat and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Melissa. Talk to you later. Bye.